What are these glass candles? says his vows, he must stand a vigil in the vault. No lantern is permitted him, no torch, no lamp, no taper. Only a candle of obsidian. He must spend the night in darkness, unless he can light that candle. Some will try, the foolish and the stubborn, those who have made a study of these so-called higher mysteries. Often they cut their fingers, for the ridges on the candles are said to be as sharp as razors. Then. With bloody hands, they must wait upon the dawn, brooding on their failure. Wiser men simply go to sleep, or spend their night in prayer. But every year, there are always a few who must try. But what's the use of a candle that casts no light? It is a lesson. The last lesson we must learn before we don our maester's chains. The glass candle is meant to represent truth and learning, rare and beautiful and fragile things. It is made in the shape of a candle to remind us that a maester must cast light wherever he serves, and it is sharp to remind us that knowledge can be dangerous. Wise men may grow arrogant in their wisdom, but a maester must always remain humble. The glass candle reminds us of that as well. Even after he has said his vow and donned his chain and gone forth to serve, a maester will think back on the darkness of his vigil and remember how nothing that he did can make the candle burn. For even with knowledge, some things are not possible. Lazy Leo burst out laughing. <laughs> not possible for you, you mean. I saw the candle burning with my own eyes. We'll just introduce our podcast in, in this manner, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Real, true. Let the feast Welcome to Game begin. Of I, we're now beginning to tuck into... This, what will be, I'm sure, right, guys, long, arduous, and beautiful journey through a a feast for crows and a dance with dragons. The time is finally here. I was going to say, if we can survive a storm of swords, I think we can handle some crows and dragons. (laughs) (laughs) Half of our show are currently in Boston at Eresia, the science fiction convention, in full representation mode. We're recording this podcast from the same hotel room. So Mm -hmm. this, what we feel important and really exciting episode will be a special one because this has been, we've, we've had a good half hour preparing for recording and we're really, 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 really excited. I know that we just read the chapter in the same room and I've already read it. You've already read it. Eric, you read it for the first time today. I know Mike, you reread it. This prologue, this beginning to everything, and just the nature of what's happening. I'm so, so excited for this conversation. Me too. Me too. This uh, this book, this chapter, this prologue of book four was very reminiscent of previous prologues, and yet completely new and different, and did not fail to show us a completely first-time area for us, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting and also shows us that now that Storm of Swords is over and has wrapped up itself with a bow unto itself, we can now explore new territory. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I really liked about opening this book back up is the fact that you are in a completely new place. And it's new in the sense that we haven't gone there in the show yet either. So to jump right in and to have just left, right, we were 
talking about Lady Stoneheart just a few weeks ago, mm. uh, but yet it seems completely irrelevant to uh, these people and the characters that we meet here in Old Town. There is talk of other things that's happened that we've read, uh, events that reach as far as Old Town impact the people who are here, uh, but just this fresh start, this new place, uh, which uh, it's just cool to go somewhere else in this series. And I think that uh, we're really going to start to get the sense as we go through this book and, and our combined reading, right, mm. that this world is much, much larger than the Starks and the Lannisters and, and the families that we've come to know uh, in the first three books. How strange is it after the milestone of A Storm of Swords? So finally, I know that our listeners at home have been writing in for months, I want to say years, of uh, in excited ways, like sort of waiting for this moment. And now half of us together, but we're all together here on the show as usual. And I know that I've been wanting to talk to you guys about this all day. Hannah, I've been wanting to talk to you uh-huh. about this, like seriously, as we got set up to record. How, and in, in, in a normal sense, we don't just kind of like dive in with overall thoughts because it just, it's hard to approach chapters in that way, but... It's been so exciting to read through A Feast for Crows and now to be, I know that we talked about that in the last episode that I finished A Feast for Crows and now I'm working through A Dance with Dragons, but to come back and to revisit what I thought was such an incredible chapter, like I know I feel like scatterbrained right now, but can we just talk out loud about how incredible this was and how how bright the future seems? For everything, just the way the chapter ended in the scope well, of what was, well, yeah, not yeah. bright for everybody. I mean, it depends. <laughs> the future on who's does future. not seem so bright for Pate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is, uh... Eric played Pate in our introduction. Please take a bow, Eric. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm bowing though you can't see it, but no, I I feel I really feel for Pate uh, <laughs> in this chapter. You can't help it. He is this boy who has an unfortunate name, um, and. It's Pate. he's he's been <laughs> he's been it could have been Pate. He's uh he's struggling to live up to the sort of he's been a student at the Citadel for years, but does not yet have uh any of his chains and he gives up everything he has in this chapter for what we can guess at might or maybe if we're generous we can call it love. It's probably not love, it's probably closer to he wants to possess this girl. Lust, um, lust yeah. Lust, possess, yeah, yeah, kind lust. of in a way, yeah. for this 15-year-old Rosie. Um, but, you know, there, there's something about his actions not really um, justifying his untimely death. And you just kind of, as George R. R. Martin, classic George R. R. Martin, um, has your point of view character, you, you kind of feel sorry for at some point. Mm-hmm. The the way that we were inside of Pate's mind and sort of met the person, we haven't been with a character like him that gnashes his teeth in anger at the thought of sort of a higher-born person disrespecting or even, you know, feeling the same way about a person that he wants to disrespect, how he sort of has this right to feel that way. And when he was, when he was uh, I know that we're kind of jumping around, but when he was thinking about what Leo Tyrell had said, and he was like, I'm not drunk enough to throw my life away to kill this <laughs> yeah. guy. You just learn a lot about this, this about Pate, and it's an interesting character. I don't feel like it's, like I said, just uh, the future feels really bright. It's so it was so fascinating to me to to sort of get this look not only at these people but finally at Old Town. Mm. Yeah, I really like these prologue, epilogue chapters that kind of take us away from the narrative that we're used to. 
And like Micah was saying, we're in a new place and we're going to be exploring a lot of new places over the next, you know, however long it takes to get through these next two books. And so I just really like these, these opportunity to kind of take a step back from the typical narrative that we're in. And I think that George R. R. Martin, as we've talked about, is he writes these really tragic characters so beautifully. Mm. And it just felt like a very beautiful chapter, even though, you know, we've got yeah this guy, you know, whatever his intentions are with Rosie, and mm. then he dies. I literally have a note that's a long highlight, and my only note is the word beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I have I have many more notes than that, but they're all Was like... it about Rosie? <laughs> no, Pate did not take yeah. my notes for this prologue. Yeah. Even though we didn't see Rosie in this uh this chapter, but I found this to be very reminiscent of a couple of things. This this whole chapter and and really the main scene with uh Pate and and all of his companions kind of huddled around this table drinking ale. It it reminded me a lot of Duncan Egg, and it also yes. reminded me a lot of The Wall, right? The Brothers yeah. of the Night's Watch. Mm-hmm. A couple of the scenes. Pete reminded me a lot of Sam, too, uh, at different moments. Hmm. And I just thought that, you know, here you are in a new place, yet people still act the same and, and have the same kind of things happening. Uh, and uh, I don't know, just like that whole crew, you had Molander and Alaris and Rune and, and Armin the Acolyte, and yeah. yet you could have the exact same thing with Pip and Gren and Sam and John. You know, it's it, it was very much like a brotherhood type of feel reading that chapter. Oh, and I want to stay with these guys. It almost felt like a scene from a Tarantino movie. <laughs> it, it, we, we enter on Old Town at the Quill and Tankard, a name befit for any reasonable medieval game that's hugely popular or video game or like, you know, or some kind of role playing story. It's perfect. It and has like the coolest setting ever, too, right? It really and it hasn't does. closed in six hundred years. Yeah, it's a six hundred year old tavern. They're, Not they're one drinking day. a drink called fearsomely strong cider, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they're hanging out. And a guy that is called a sphinx. It's described in this prologue that the sphinx is someone who, I guess, like like the sphinx is is made up of all these different parts and that's kind of the person that this Alaris the Sphinx is and he, he they're, they're, they're hanging out and Molander's tossing apples in the air he's just shooting them with his bow and arrow made of wood that is from the summer isles that is forbidden it's like it, these are some of the coolest people we've ever talked to and they're just hanging out in old town becoming masters together gossiping yeah. and training to be masters too <laughs> that's the crazy thing can you imagine I don't know when I when I finally reached the moment where we could I could dive into a feast for crows, guys. This was the first chapter I read, and I was like, "Oh my god, I cannot!" I'm so angry yeah. at myself for waiting so long because this is, I don't know, the excitement and the polish. It was it's almost unreasonable. You know, maesters have this special task, this special duty. They're supposed to, as it says later, bring light in in all areas, wisdom, knowledge. Uh, you know, you think of the maesters that we've known. Um, particularly Lewin, but I'm thinking of also Crescent, who is the prologue of book two. And Pate gets confused for Crescent. Shout out. Yeah, he did get a shout yeah. out. <laughs> shout out. 
uh he gets confused for uh for well actually he's just got a, a archmaster um walgrave archmaster i was gonna say kilgrave Arch- <laughs> stuck on jessica jones archmaster Mulgrave um confuses him for crescent and crescent in the prologue for uh, a clash of kings meets the same fate in in within a chapter yeah uh, which is death. So I thought that was a, an amazing throwback. So you've got that, but you've just got this new information about what makes a maester, what their goals are, what it's like to be in Old Town, where I guess... Alcohol. It, I mean, that's what I took away from it. These guys drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They do have downtime. They're not sworn to... I mean, apparently they can break their vow of celibacy a lot easier than men of the Night's Watch can. I do have a question for, for Zach, though, because you just mentioned the this, that... You know, this was the first chapter mm-hmm. that you read as soon as you jumped into the Feast for Crows. Yeah, Eric's too, today. Uh, yeah. yeah. What's going through your mind, though? Because you, you've you read through the whole book now, yeah. but what was going through your mind? At the was end. Was it <laughs> at the beginning? And just saying, like, okay, where where is this book going? Like, wh- what direction am I going in now that oh, man. I've left everything oh, behind I'm, in A Storm of Swords? Hannah's in the same room, so she can attest to this. I'm smiling so big right now <laughs> because... After all that we've gone through, after all this time to open up, uh, to finally open it up and like to move into a chapter. And Eric, I know you're feeling the same thing uh, to open up the pages and for for the prologue to be as rich and as seriously polished as this one is. The the soliloquies that you often mention, Micah, just the the, the ones filled with imagery, the description of a, a beam of sun or how the, the road twists and turns or in this case, how the cobbled streets uh, lead to the meanest alley. Uh, were almost every other paragraph in this pro- prologue, and that alone was a very cool thing to experience. But to have the world broadened so much more, we're talking layers upon layers of plot, the ability to learn so much more about, about the, the maesters, who just with the mention of Crescent and, and how you were connecting it to the opening of the second book, just with that mention, we we sort of can can take from there the sort of influence people that study here together and drink at the Quill and Tankard end up having on the realm as a whole. It's like Jedi. <laughs> yeah, so much later on. And that's only one piece of, of this prologue. That's only one takeaway. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier, Zach, that uh, Pate is lowborn, and we really don't get a lot of point-of-view characters who are um, that lowborn. It's he compares, it, uh, he compares himself to Leo, and he says, Leo had two names where Pate had only one. And he knows he can't pick a fight with this guy because he is, you know, his cousin is important. His cousin's Mace Terrell, and his uncle's important, commander of the City Watch. And it's just like, or sorry, his father yeah, uh, was commander of the dad, City Watch. Yeah. And I'm just thinking like, man, this is, this sucks, but it's a classic Game of Thrones situation where you just don't pick a fight with somebody who's high born. If you're low born, it doesn't work out. You know what? That is very Duncan Eggy as well. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. If I can say Duncan Eggy, <laughs> you can. Uh, I think it's it's thing. it's very reminiscent of other stuff in the world, but uh, yet it's new and still manages to be different and exciting. And with that one mention, apart from what I've already sort of sung about so far, but the zooming out in the perspective, world building, of just reminding us that Mace Tyrell is the Lord of Highgarden, and I love how George paced it out. There were titles that were spoken of before he eventually got to mentioning Mace Tyrell's titles. And we think of Mace as kind of this bumbling guy, but to these people, Mace Tyrell is the Lord of Highgarden, which is the seat of a huge part of this entire country, of all of these kingdoms. He's the he's the warden of the South. The guy that he is that Pate is in this sort of verbal spar with, this 
light, drunken, verbal spar is the cousin of this guy. But just through a mention, not only that it was in connection with Pate, you know what I'm saying? Just through a mention, we're, we're feeling so much more of the size of the world in such a secondhand way. It's just a very smart way to make us feel the size of the world George is in through the casual conversations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. Near the end of this chapter when Pate is talking about, or wherever it is, I can't remember exactly where he's talking about how he's never even seen King's Landing. And I think that it's interesting that we, I mean, we just left King's Landing. Mm-hmm. And then to, just like we've been saying, we're in a new place and just putting into perspective how big this world is. This guy has never even come close to where we've been spending a lot of our time. So Right, but yet it's still so localized when we get into the discussion. There, right. There's talk of how Molander's father was killed on the Blackwater, the War mm-hmm. of the Five Kings. There you go. The mm-hmm. fact that... If you talk too loud, the spider may hear you. Yeah. Yeah, yes. I love that. Yes. It's like no matter where you are, it does not matter. Right. And yet the fact that we're in a new place in Old Town, but there's still so much familiarity in what's being discussed. It's just new people who are having those discussions. Mm-hmm. It's critical discussion too, right? Um, there's this guy who says the War of Five Kings was never really a thing because Renly was slain before mm-hmm. Balin Greyjoy crowned himself. And it's just like, that's an interesting take on it. Like, there's yeah. people out there having these conversations around beer about whether or not it's even appropriate to call it that. <laughs> um, it's just, it's 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 good. But these are, these are learned men, uh, we're meant to assume. Just arguing over politics. <laughs> right, and to have our story zoom out, Molander, who, again, mentioned Blackwater, also just... I, th- I feel like added grandeur to everything we've already read. Think about the way we began with Daenerys and through the, the moments we journeyed with her when they had no food and water to to being spoken about in this second best city, essentially, in Westeros. He's talking about, my father always said the world was bigger than any Lord's Castle. Molander went on. Dragons must, this is when they were speaking of the, the rumors of dragons. Dragons must be the least of a thing, must be the least of the things a man might find in Karth, Ashai, in E.T., He's talking about these sailor stories, and he literally lists off all like a handful of places, Young Kai, et cetera, mm-hmm. that Danny has actually been with her dragons. And to us, it was distressful, and she was trying to figure out her journey. But to these people, it's just myth. There's no way that the dragons. She went to all these places. You know, it's just it's aggrandizing her even more so, very casually through the prologue. And I'm really excited to get to her mm-hmm. stuff because I feel like. I don't know. There's so much more to her. I love now. that line where it says, "All speak of dragons and a beautiful young queen." Mm-hmm. That was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just find it interesting how these books always open up with that element of magic and and learning more about this world that that we're exploring. Right, even going back to the first book, uh, Beyond the Wall, and then you know Eric mentioned earlier what happened at Dragonstone, and of course we know Melisandre. Yeah, yeah, Melisandre uh, killing Maester Crescent or. And, and then in the third book, uh, you know, on the on the fist. So Three it's just plus, yeah. here we are again, and now we're talking about Daenerys, and we're talking about dragons, and we're we're talking about magical candles, magical yeah. candles like mm-hmm. Legend of Zelda, <laughs> dragons in a shy, dragons in card, marine, Dothraki dragons, dragons freeing slaves. It's like she, I think she, she pretty much she did all of that. It's funny that they're Every yeah they're tale. all the same dragons you know it's they're, they're there are three of them but they're they've been in at all of those places like so not Danny, only is Mace Tyrell cooler than what he normally seems to us but Daenerys is basically the coolest person that there is mm-hmm. agreed and the fact that these candles are are predated before right the Doom of Valyria by like right? a they thousand were, years right? right they're brought back and there's a whole lot of mysticism surrounding them and and if they actually light and if they do light what does that actually mean you know is it 
dragons are back in the world? Dragons is it something more powerful than that? Well, it's just funny that the, the whole purpose, the candles are being used for this initiation, this last initiation ritual, because specifically because they don't light. This is like specifically because <laughs> they're they? flawed and don't. And, you know, so basically the, the Meisters have to learn, I guess, humility and they cut themselves up in this room in the in the bit that we've read, uh, which is brilliant. But it's like now they are a, a light. And I wonder what uh, the Meisters are doing to for the initiation ritual now. So you believe the rumor that they're... I'm guessing yeah. that. Yeah, I'm guessing that they only light when dragons are in the world and it would normally not be a problem because you know thousands of years ago dragons were commonplace so it'd be like a a candle that never goes out um but now they're lit are you saying this is like a trick birthday candle (laughs) maybe maybe but that's it is a trick right i mean it's basically you're getting you're giving these maesters these cut up hands because they're trying to fumble in the dark with these glass candles that that don't light can we just talk about the candle itself? I know that we've spoken about it, but the candle in itself is, I think, well worth the read. Mm-hmm. Pate knew about the glass candles, so he had never seen one burn. They were the worst-kept secret of the Citadel. It was said that they had been brought to Old Town from Valyria a thousand years before the Doom. He had heard there were four. One was green and three were black, and all were tall and twisted. This <laughs> prologue's sort of done done it to me, reignited a lot of thoughts. Not that we needed any true reignition because it's starting to really pepper at strategic points through the series, especially having ended a storm of swords with Catelyn Stark being re- reanimated corpse. I was just sort of, I guess my, my mind was grasping toward hopefulness that we were getting, you know, in this fourth book, some kind of connection to an even greater past because there had to have been a greater past since we we're talking about it before what the Valerians were able to do in their grand kingdom before everything was finished, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did they get to where they are, to where they were? How did they, how did they even get there? Hopefully we learn one day. I mean, we're sitting in a tavern that's 600 years old right? with the best of friends. And I really I really enjoyed their dynamic, and I, I know that you guys probably felt the same as you're reading through. And on, and on second reread, I definitely felt the, the kinmanship between Alaris and Molander and Rune, you know, and... and sort of their the social hierarchy how the sphinx had gotten his several links within a year like alaris has more than him but he's been around for a long time so like the difference between novice and then that second tier acolyte just how they sort of all treated each other and how that respect laid down doesn't that sort of just broaden your understanding of how much it takes for a maester to be a maester and it just made me appreciate them a whole lot more well yeah and how i said pate had been there for how long five years and he still hadn't done anything right is that he's still a novice yeah yeah can i can i just say that uh he's called the sphinx and did anybody else think of mystery men and the character called the sphinx and mystery men this whole time i thought of the third task oh yeah well there you go or egypt yeah (laughs) questions training only trains himself at asking questions is pretty funny but I wanted to talk about this, the reason that Pate is even in this tavern. Sure, he likes his friends, and he's very interested in attending that seminar on urine uh, the next day. But uh, <laughs> but he's waiting He's waiting Same. there for, sorry, the properties of urine. We're, we have a um, panel about urine in a half hour, so we got to speed this yeah, up. <laughs> Thanks, Arisha. I assumed as much. I, well, we'll get you guys out of here. Uh, but, but no, the... Um, He's waiting for the alchemist, this guy who identified himself as an alchemist and says that he can turn iron into gold. And this is the prevailing mystery. Of course, there are the candles, and the candles are very exciting and new, but 
because Alchemist is sort of a no-show this evening. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Pate is a little upset and disappointed because we learn much later that Pate has actually decided that he's going to go for it. He's going to go for the Golden Dragon, which is how much it costs to be able to take Rosie's Maidenhead um, from her mother at the brothel. And he has stolen an item of apparently very large value from his old ma- mice- archmaster. Poor Pate. He took he took the job hoping he'd be able to quickly replace Archmaster Walgrave as the keeper of the Ravenry, which there's a place in Old Town called the Ravenry. That's cool. Right? And mm-hmm. apparently Archmaster Wal- Walgrave is in such a poor state that he's not able to... His, his mind is slipping. He's not able to even have the authority to make that decision. And which, I, you know, we learn about how, how Pate has uh, sort of presented himself and I don't think we have enough information to really wax poetic about the process of becoming a maester but I thought that that right. was fascinating and I thought that Pate he can't be as as dull as it seems I think mm-hmm. the reason why we kind of feel like he's a little dull in this chapter is because he's so drunk off that cider and so his and minds he are, doesn't have any chains and drunk in love yeah and he's been working for five years and he's yeah. drunk in love fiance and he also is just kind of disinterested I'm disinterested I feel like in the conversation that they're having you know, he yeah, because the only dragons he cares about is this golden dragon that yeah. he's gonna hopefully acquire. But that was it was fun. It made me want to stay here. Did it, like for did you guys feel the same way? I want to stay in Old Town. <laughs> I want to stay in Old Town and read what's happening here, and I want to interact with these characters. Well, it's it's an institute of higher learning. Like it's it's basically like hanging around Harvard or Oxford. <laughs> maybe is a better comparison. Like you'd want to learn the mysteries of this realm. This realm is baller this realm is super is cool. badass but even more so eric this this town is, doesn't have hovels and you know dirt huts and it doesn't have flea bottom with bowls of brown it has it was built in stone and i can't can you imagine what it's going to be like when old town is adapted for the television show i think it'll be good mm-hmm. it's gonna be incredible <laughs> and mike I mean, it's it's sam, on is, go- for sam so is going long. in the show right because sam asked yeah. john mm-hmm. yeah right at like the last which was stupid for me because I was just like, I want him to be there to save John, but he's gone because he's gone off to Old Town. So maybe we'll see it. But I'm just really excited in general to, to learn more about what maesters know. Like, I hope I know this guy kind of this would be my maester just died, but I hope we get another one who hangs around for a bit because Maester Lewin, thinking back to all the really cool stuff that he said, was very helpful to our main characters to our knowledge right. although i will say even meister lewin kind of what else i wanted to say about the maesters is they, they can still be wrong you know dragons you can tell by this conversation had in this chapter like they should interest maesters because they're they're all about uncovering the mysteries um of the realm and it should at least interest you more than it does pate this conversations these conversations that they're having um, but I kind of wonder though, what these higher mysteries, like how much of it is actually real or useful at the end of the day, because you have these other people acting against them and these other people doing their own thing and finding out other mysteries that the maesters probably have no idea exist. Mm-hmm. That's what this chapter does though, right? It shows us that, that they very much are people that have mm-hmm. been through different stages in their lives. I'm thinking that Maester Lewin sat at these same tables at the Quill and Tankard and yeah. drank the same cider mm-hmm. and had the same kinds of conversations. Maybe with Crescent. Maybe with Crescent. <laughs> <That's> so cool. <laughs> Maybe they had one of their, you know, it's just, it's. Picel. Yeah. Yeah. Kyburn before he went crazy. 
So what? Is, so they all know each other. It's like a brotherhood, and they're all spread around the seven kingdoms, sharing wisdom with their lords. And maybe as, they're the ones that are really up to shit, right? I mean, it's yeah. po- it's possible they're pretty well connected. This is a this is a very I mean, and and their home base is Old Town, and we we hear about the tower on the way in through the water before it connects with the larger bodies of water uh, out west of the city, and it's just in in true the, the in the fantasy genre, like we've always said. And we can harken back to our readings of places like Dragonstone, and I would argue now, let's go ahead and just harken back to the prologue of A Feast for Crows with Old Town, how grandiose and, and fun and uh, mystical these places are. I just thought it was a really fun adventure, and like I said, I, I want to stay here. I want to learn about more about where Maester Lewin sort of grew up and uh, where Leo Tyrell is deciding to spend his time when as a Tyrell, no matter how disconnected he is from the immediate family, he could pretty much have whatever he wants. And you get that impression from this chapter. There's just so much information that comes at you. And uh, the nature of how we're presented these points of view, it makes it so much sweeter. And for the people that had to wait five years between 2000, 2005, when a storm of swords was released. And when this book was released, I can't imagine how painful that must've felt, but I can, I, I wish that I would have been there to, to, to read at the moment they were able to crack it open for the first time and, and read this prologue and learn and about wait <laughs> and then wait again but yeah. to learn about the, the you know pate and, and the sphinx and the arrow through the apple and all the sort of like riddles and small little bits of knowledge that were dropped in this chapter that i'm sure we're oh. going to be able to apply for later that's what i was going to say too is is there's probably stuff in this chapter that we could apply you know once winds of winter or even the seventh book come out that we look back on and we say wow, we should have picked up on that. So right. that's just the brilliance uh, of George R. R. Martin and the way that he's able to to write things in. Uh, but but just going back to this this man, what is his purpose? You know, he is able to get Pate to steal a key, a key that is supposed to be capable of opening up any door in the Citadel. Yeah, I don't know. It's like why it's somebody who prefers to act through others, right? He doesn't storm the gates or anything. He's getting he basically would have had to stalk Pate or have some sort of insight into what Pate really wants. And and I know he kind of wears his heart on his sleeve. The brothers all know that he really wants Rosie and they can see that he's been saving up or has some money and and he's not anywhere close to getting the the full golden dragon to get her, but this man, whoever he is, has taken enough interest to be able to come up with this proposition, which is for this barter uh, between handing the key over and giving him the gold that he needs to go and get Rosie. And it sucks that it's not really a fair trade uh, because I guess, you know, I don't know if it was biting down on the gold. Maybe it was poisoned. I don't quite understand how pain mm. dies. But I'm guessing that's probably how, if it were poisoned, because that also loops back to Maester Crescent being poisoned, which I love. That's so much smarter than what my thought is, Eric, because I thought this is a prologue. The ground is moving beneath him. There's some kind of like this guy's performing some kind of magic. And I was so hopeful that here we go. He here comes magic. magical combat. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it on. Oh, book man. Four. <laughs> oh, man. Magical combat. Here we go. Wands no, that, at the ready. That, that makes so smart, much more Eric. sense. Yeah, that makes yeah, so Yeah, he bites down on the coin, so I'm like, ah, I bet it's poisoned. But again, I was thinking of Crescent the whole time. When he bites down on the coin just because out of habit, because he feels like that's what he's supposed to do, mm-hmm. even though he, <laughs> he wouldn't be able to tell the difference anyway. anyway. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't yeah. matter. He's like, I've seen people was, do this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to look like stupid. an idiot. And he's drunk yeah. the whole time, by the way. He's been drinking all night. Mm-hmm. 
drunk in love. He is drunk but, in love. I mean, this man had to have known, or he knew what Pate's weakness was, and he knew what Pate's goals were. And he exploited it perfectly. Was... See, that's mm-hmm. the thing. He did know that he just needed one dragon, and he calls himself the alchemist. And I thought maybe this is an alchemist. Like I said, I'm always sort of I'm in I'm in hope mode now that we're Eric. We're in sullied territory. I'm just always looking for the most fantastic, like the most majestical, magical approach. And it turns out that when he turned iron into gold, it was just the iron key that he wanted. So I thought that was very, very, very clever. Mm-hmm. And as far as what he wants to do with the key, and we can only guess, just judging from this chapter alone, that it's probably something to do with the higher mysteries, something like maybe the candles, if they have something in con- to do in sort of conjunction with the dragons. or Yeah, he, wa- he asked him if he wanted the books. And the guy didn't respond, but there's books, there's scrolls down there that mm-hmm. have lasted for centuries and centuries. And it's it's interesting because we've heard elsewhere, and I think it might have just been on the TV show because Sam was telling Gilly about all the books. Um, but that's pretty much all that they have there is books, books and, and maesters to read the books. Um, it doesn't seem like there's this buried treasure beneath unless it's something like the candles. Um, which are obsidian. We know that obsidian is very valuable at this crucial juncture in the world. So it's it's a mystery. A lot of good questions that come yeah. out of this chapter. I think that is for sure. And, and one question I would ask is, is this man, the alchemist, is he working for himself? Is Why? is he hired by somebody else? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I, I looked up the, the description of, of Jack and Hagar when he leaves Arya. His appearance was a hook-nosed man with a scar, a gold tooth, and black curly hair. Now, if you go to how the alchemist appears in this book... I didn't know we were going to go here this early, It's the same. It's the same. Mike, are you wanting to go here? The alchemist has a hook nose and thick black curly hair with a slight scar on his right cheek. (laughs) I would say we know, right, from what we saw in the House of the Undying, or not the House of the Undying, the House of Black and White, uh, and the television series, you can really take anybody's appearance. So... Really, who is Jack and Hagar at the end of the day? Well, right. uh, Pate asks, and he says, a stranger. No one, mm-hmm. truly. Mm-hmm. No one. Yeah. Come yeah, on. Yeah. Not nobody. Okay. I am nobody. I am no one. I just, you know, I just wasn't sure we were going to go there, but, <laughs> but I mean. Let's go there. The, we went there. <laughs> let's start theorizing. This, do okay. This. Well, the second he said that on my first read through, the first thing I did was went back to A Clash of Kings. I love it. And you saw that, and you read the description. Mm-hmm. That's cool. There's, we've got a lot of chapters to get to, and like we, we're still not. I don't know, Eric. You need to read faster. You need to read faster. <laughs> you will, and you will, and it'll be beautiful. And uh, I'm really excited about how things could shake up because, like, when I read this, and tell me if you guys feel the same. No matter who it is, it could be, it, it could really be an alchemist that you know just decided to kill him instead of using his magic. Does this not feel like? I don't want to say for the first time because everything has to do with the overall overall plot, but does this not have some, like, I feel, this feels so sinister. It feels so fresh. I know that we've traveled a long time with the TV show, but this is just more mysterious and more in-gamey than almost anything that I've seen in the TV show or that we've read in the book so far. I feel like that what's happening right now could be connected to it all. It, or it could not. I mean, maybe if it is, if it, if he is a faceless assassin, you know, we don't we don't hear about them going on missions that don't specifically involve killing somebody. Maybe it's just he wanted a key to fit every door in the citadel because that was the easiest way to get to his target. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was, you know, just wants to kill one of the Grand Masers. And in that case, 
it's kind of a roundabout or convoluted way of doing it. I mean, you'd think that he could just sneak into whatever room he needs to be in, but maybe that's not it. Maybe it's, or maybe it is somebody like Mulgrave who's kind of locked away. Maybe he just wants to kill Mulgrave, Walgrave. which is weird. Does this not feel um, a little bit more interesting than anything we've gotten so far? Like, kind of truly unknown. Well, and I, I feel like we've been dealing with the fallout of the of the same few events. Like, uh, as we wrap up A Storm yeah. of Swords, we're kind of dealing with, you know, the Red Wedding continually. And this is something new and fresh. That is such a good it's, point. it's kind of like a different... We're not starting over, but we're starting anew with, like, a new book and a new journey. And so it's it's almost refreshing to kind of deal with something that hasn't been the same type of intertwined plot line that we've been dealing with for the last, you know, however many chapters years. we've been dealing with. Yeah, months, years. <laughs> new, new new card houses are being built. Yeah. Mike, I find myself being upset at you at random intervals in my life. And this is another <laughs> one of those. As you read the book. Yeah. Related and unrelated. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. but Why didn't you at any point, as one of my best friends, say, hey, I'm going to be vague here, but I think that you should just look at Old Town and, and become fond for Old Town because it's a pretty cool city. Because then you wouldn't yeah. have had this experience. And yeah, he, exactly. Is that why? Yeah. And he'd have to say it about everything else that he's been to and we have not. But that is true. I, have this, I still have this map up from when I was looking at Old Town. And, uh, you know, it's just there's some crazy shit out here. There's a place called Ibn, which is like this frozen island, which is neither Westeros nor Essos. Like, it's crazy. Let's go there. All of these places are new and exciting, and it's amazing. Well, how did it feel to have all this, all this inside of your head, Micah? Like, why did you, why did you, why did you do this to me? <laughs> you could ask Hannah the same thing, but I know, uh, but she hasn't been with us as long as you. That is true. That is when true. we started uh, the podcast, you knew about Pate and the Alchemist, and I did. Yeah. Well, I also knew that Jon Snow was going to die, <laughs> <laughs> which which is probably a little bit bigger of impact than uh than Pate. But so did all of our there, listeners. I you know what, listeners, I'm directing a little bit of this toward you as well. Yeah. You know what? Put it on the listeners <laughs> yeah. that have read the books Why as well. You just written it and said this the 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 prologue of a feast for crows cuz I've you know just but I enjoy about... I enjoy the text messages uh, that Zach sends me, like as he gets to different parts now in, in a Feast for Crows or a Dance with Dragons. All caps. It, it's cool to see, you know, somebody react like that. That's that's what you know going through a series like this should really be about. You mm-hmm. know, it's those really crazy moments that all you want to do is pick up the phone and call somebody, and talk to them about it. But those happy moments too, you know, even if it's as simple as seeing someone shoot an arrow at a six hundred year old tavern. In a world that we really like, and it's it's even more rewarding as you become more familiar with the series. It's even more rewarding to be able to spend time in these places that we aren't as familiar with because we just, you know, the first time I read through the series, I think that the reason why people have trouble with a feast for crows and why I had a trouble with it the first time I read through is because I just felt like I still wasn't still trying to figure out where I was and who all these people were and what they were doing and why it mattered, and having the opportunity to dive back in and understand why it all matters it's just even more rewarding to be able to spend some time in this tavern and just enjoy it you know instead of trying to get my head on straight i think another thing that this chapter does though too is it really shifts the perspective in terms of where the story is going and what's going to be important right the the whole discussion that this group has about daenerys and her dragons and yeah We've, we always talk about magic and its importance, but also religion. There's there's a mention of Roller in the in, in the Red God. 
in Stannis. Yeah. Possibly it's bringing that indo- like indoctrinating the entirety of Westeros in his cause. So uh, it's laying the groundwork, in my opinion. A Feast for Crows. Some of the, I want to say a lot of what we've gotten sent to us uh, about how, what we're going to do next with the podcast and uh, possibly you know combining the books, which is something, again, we're really happy to be doing. People say stuff about A Feast for Crows, and I, I always sort of wondered, you know, I was curious how it was possible that that even both of these next two books just didn't stand up to the first three in a way. And I think that, Hannah, your point there is pretty sound. The fact that we, we live in it so heavily, and all of you listening at home have spent a lot of time, if you've listened to all of our episodes and you've read along with us or even just sent in your owns, I feel like you've lived in it enough too that maybe you didn't feel that way or maybe you did. And hopefully through our read through, it'll be a little different, but I can say that reading through a feast for crows to me was, was incredible. I thought this was a fantastic book and I'm so excited to read through our order that is pieced together. I'm, I don't know. I'm just really looking forward to it. And I just want to say like, for, for me, this chapter is fine. It's got a lot of like, it's got cool dialogue. It's got cool mystery. Um, I want to know all about that. What else was in that strong box, right? I mean, there's a uh, a knight's gauntlet. I want to know which knight that yeah, which belonged prince, to. Yeah, yeah, like lobstered steel. Um, then it had the key in it. Also, a lock of yellow hair tied up in a ribbon, mm-hmm. and a painted miniature, meaning I guess a small portrait of a woman who resembled the Walgrave, even to her mustache. So, you know, in the bag of silver stags, I want to know: Are these strictly his possessions? If so, what what's the backstory for all these other items too? not just the key. And there's a lot of opportunity there for storytelling to fill in the gaps, to fill in, to answer these questions that we now have. So I, I think it's I think it's a really su- successful prologue. I really enjoyed reading it, and I can't wait to get into the rest of these books. Yeah, I, I know that we're very excited. We're recording while half of us are at a convention, and this is just sort of, I don't know, an interesting way to, to be doing all this. But we had to record because I think that the time sort of became... All right, well, the, t- the time is now, and uh, we have to do the opening chapter. We have to move forward. And I can say, I sort of say, like, since we're nearing, I guess, the end of this discussion, we can just lay down officially that our read-through, A Feast with Dragons, has begun. It has begun. You need Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Mortal Kombat. You got it. Sing song. All right. Maybe not Mystery Men, but Mortal Kombat. I'm excited, Kombat, man. I, I like the idea of a combined reading. It's something I've never done before. So I think it's in a way it keeps everything fresh. Like it, it, it makes it as if we're all going through for the first time together because it's it's a unique sort of path to take and hopefully it makes things a whole hell of a lot clearer than, than the last couple of times I've read. Uh, Cause I, you know, I have to check and go back as you get into a dance with dragons and say, didn't I just read this like a couple days ago? And, you know, so I'm, I'm just excited. I'm happy that, that we're doing this. And I think uh, the listeners are really going to like it. Hannah's been reading through steadily. She's sort of been our, our guinea pig for all of the ideas and considerations and sort of just the, thematic overhaul we've been putting into this we have help from some friends and we'll speak about that more at length on our next episode 
how's combining things been? It's been it's been honestly incredible. And I know we've we've talked about doing this and I've never done it this way before. And so I just didn't I knew it was gonna be cool, but I didn't realize how much fun it was gonna be to have these two narratives on top of each other. And so I'm just really excited to share it with you guys and to read this story that we love so much in this new exciting way i mean i think that i've I've said this you know to all of you multiple times but there are moments when i was reading through and kind of checking through our our new order and just laughed out loud because i was so excited that you know these narratives were gonna uh coincide and kind of mash up in in this way so uh i'm really looking forward to it so with that said, I think yeah. we s- still need to give our owns because I don't think that uh, we can get out of an episode without. Uh, I thought you would never ask. Yeah. Like you guys should <laughs> see Hannah. Ready. She's grinning from ear to ear right now. This is a good. We should record more episodes this way. Let's all. No, just... I hate it because <laughs> every time I'm like not speaking, you could just like look at me. I don't. I have. I've looked at you like three times. I know. Okay. Now I am. Okay. So now. now three. Now you're. Pissed. I'm turn. My back is turned. <laughs> that goes three. into my owns. Three. <laughs> said Rune, astonished. Lazy Leo patted his hand. Uh. More than two and less than four. I would not try for my golden link just yet if I were you. (laughs) I definitely highlighted that one as well. Uh (laughs) That is my own to Lazy Leo. Guy I don't really like, but I I have to say he had some zingers. I was laughing about this like out loud earlier. Uh, I want to give my own to uh, Archmaester Benedict, who insists that they're... Oh, wait. Archmaester Walgrave who wanted his big white birds to eat him when he died. <laughs> that's just weird. And I think that's he loves so his weird. There's got to be a name for that, though. <laughs> so weird, and I so love it. So, uh, own to Archmaster Walgrave. Literally a Feast for Crows title drop in yeah. the prologue. <laughs> oh, man. Nice. This is hard, because there are... I, I, I kind of want to just give it to Old Town, and I've got several paragraphs about Old Town highlighted, but you should just read along with us, because... Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I could give it to Lord Leighton Hightower for apparently never leaving his tower in a decade, which I'm not sure if that's true. I need someone that is familiar with the lore of the Seven Kingdoms to tell me if this is true. And if that's true, that's tough, man. Mm. Um, but I think I'm going to give it to Molander for this exchange between Leo. And it actually follows yours, Eric. It says... Uh, Far be it for me to keep you from the piss tasting. This is about them basically leaving early to get to the piss tasting in the morning. Myself, I prefer the taste of Arbor Gold. We don't like this guy. Molander says back to him, if the choice is piss or you, I'll drink piss. <laughs> Molander pushed back from the table. Come, Rune. Yeah. I, you know, in my notes, I just what I wrote down Lazy Leo's name and then hyphen asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He really uh, not good. Yeah. My own actually, uh, I think, goes to a bit of forewarning, which I guess technically goes to George R. R. Martin, but I'm going to give it to the the five piglets that were in distress as Pate was walking down the street, uh, knowing that Pate was nicknamed Spotted Pate, yep. Pig Boy, uh, and that there were piglets in distress as he was walking to his demise oh, uh, at the hands of the alchemist. That is rich. There was also the weird nightingale, right? That was kind of... Yeah, making a, a sound that was not pretty. I, I just sort of took that as the world is so beautiful, and they're in this this city with all of this beautiful history, and it, it's storied, and we have all these wonderful descriptions. But 
even with the grandeur of King's Landing and all of the years that it's taken to build such an empire, even the song of a nightingale makes it pale in comparison. Am I just being too sentimental? That's deep. That's that was deep. beautiful. Yeah. That was really beautiful. No, that was good. <laughs> but, but if that's the case, then that means all men must die, all men must serve, and does it even really matter if the others take us? Those were our own, and of course, uh, you can send yours in for this prologue in a number of different ways uh, that uh, I'll get to in just a second, but we have uh, a place that you can go to now to check out uh, our official reading order for A Feast with Dragons, and it's just adding .com to the end of it. <laughs> a Feast with Dragons.com <laughs> is the official resource uh, for our combined reading here on A Game of Owens of A Dance with Dragons and A Feast for Crows. So, Go there, check it out. Each and every week, you'll know what chapters to send in your owns for, and we will, of course, uh, read them live, in person, uh, on this podcast. And there are a number of ways, as I mentioned earlier, you can send us your owns. You can tweet at us, at Game of Owns on Twitter, scroll upon our Facebook wall at facebook.com slash Game of Owns, or... Shoot us an email at contact at gameofowns.com. Micah, should we yeah. change our podcast name to A Game of Owns? Because that sounded <laughs> a game of very Owns. good. I said all of that rolling off of your tongue. And you heard on this episode, we said the C word, convention, which means Hannah and Zach are at a convention. They had a lot of fun, and I'm sure some of that was captured for our Patreon. Mm-hmm. And we played in the, the snow. Point. Yeah, we did play in the snow. <laughs> in Boston. There was frolicking. Uh, there was frolicking. Mm-hmm. Yes. Nice. Yeah. All of our exploits are that that have been made possible to our generous donors over on Patreon. Um, we thank you for your support of the show. We are, of course, an ad-free show, but there is a way for you to support us if you'd like to, if you are so inclined. You can do so over at patreon.com. It's, it's basically like going to uh, see what our Patreon is up to and then adding the .com to it. I think that was something (laughs) like what Micah said. So uh, (laughs) check it out. Patreon.com slash goo uh, for uh, that. And we thank all of our patrons for their support. I just want to say a feast with dragons a few more times. A feast feast with with dragons. dragons. Yes. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yes, it is. And we thank you for joining us. The dragon has three heads, but we have four. Gold for iron. His last thought was of Rosie. Fiercely strong sign. <laughs> <laughs> for all your cold <laughs> <laughs>